This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. Being able to shape two or more passions into a career, I suppose is something we all aspire to. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. Amy Kirk is a marine biologist, but right now she finds herself not exploring the depths of the ocean, but rather exploring the minds of children. Amy is the Northern Territory winner of the 2020 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award for her project that's aiming to encourage young people, and in particular girls, in rural and remote communities in the Territory to find careers in science, technology or engineering. So, where does marine biology enter the frame? Well, let's let Amy explain a little about her background. Yes, I am a marine biologist. I pretty much went into university straight out of high school. I did have a few people try to convince me not to do marine biology, and I was actually enrolled in conservation biology and psychology when I started my undergrad, and I think I lasted about a semester before I enrolled in a marine biology unit. I did my university degree and then I did my honours degree, which was in sea urchins, still in marine biology, and sea urchins and their feeding habits that occurred in offshore in Fremantle, which is in Perth, Western Australia. And I took some time off finally and I went travelling. And I was offered a PhD scholarship in Darwin to continue my marine biology studies. Tell me why people were saying don't do it. Yeah, it's the the global climate, I think, more than anything else. You know, my generation, all our parents are baby boomers and they got jobs. My parents rode the mining boom in Western Australia and did really well as engineers. And I know that science has been wrought before and recently with lots of people tending to be unemployed or not employed in a traditional science sense. I'm lucky and I've made science and academia work for me thus far, but I think job security was the number one worry of people not wanting me to do marine science, but hopefully I'll prove them all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you're proving them wrong even now. So, Amy, you mentioned that you did some work in sea urchins, but you've also done some work with sharks. Yes. So I'm currently studying sharks and I'm studying the biology and ecology of two shark species that are caught as bycatch. Bycatch is incidental and non-targeted species that get caught whilst commercial fishermen are targeting other species. So they're not usually well-known or the biology of them isn't very well-known. They're not as commercially valuable as most Mm. bycatch will get discarded. And I am looking at them in a couple of the Northern Territories fisheries at the moment. What are you actually looking at? You're talking about the biology of them, but what does that mean? Yes. So we look at all aspects of biology or as many as we can so that we can inform fisheries management. So that would be your age and growth rates their reproductive biology, so the fecundity, which is the ability to produce offspring and how much offspring they produce. We look at the timing of their reproduction. We look at differences between males and females, something called size and maturity, so when they transition from being juveniles to adults. 
We also look at the spatial structure of the populations, which is how the individuals move and how connected and how much they move within an area or within a few areas. So by that I mean the Northern Territory manages its own state fisheries, but some fish don't just stay in the Northern Territory. They'll move into West Australia and Queensland, so we have to be aware of fish species that are crossing borders as well. When we look at our management, we end up with interjurisdictional management in those cases. And we also are looking into a little bit of diet too, potentially. The bycatch situation, is that putting pressure on populations of sharks in the, in your area up there? Not so much putting pressure on, oh, so like reducing the population sizes. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 I think because of the way that sharks interact with fisheries, fishing has reduced population sizes of sharks globally in recent decades with increasing fishing pressure because sharks have biology that's more vulnerable to fishing pressure. They're not as easy to replenish their populations as our bony fish are. But bycatch is more of an issue because traditionally we don't have a lot of information on those species. So we're not actually 100% sure how the fishery is affecting those populations and it could be declining them and we don't know about it or they could be sustaining a stable population state but we don't know about it. So to be able to holistically manage our fisheries and manage the impact that the fishing is having on the ecosystem, we want to find more information about the species in that fishery that we don't have to begin with. And the reason we're talking to you about the sharks and your work with the sharks is because you've then transferred some of that, I suppose, that information into the project that you are currently designing for Northern Territory schools. Tell us about that project. Yes. So I think through my love for academia and science, I equally love sharing that science, something that I'm really excited about like sharks or is very cool. I want to be able to share with everyone else. So I've recently got involved in a lot of STEM outreach and my project is about increasing STEM outreach in the Northern Territory, in particular rural communities, but it will also be shared in Darwin schools as well. And I think that everyone should get to experience science in a fun and exciting environment. I really believe that it allows children and other people to develop a passion for science, which I think is traditionally thought as maybe something that's not cool or very nerdy. If you think about traditional science stereotypes, so it's really my love for science that makes me want to share it more. And that's why I've pioneered this project, I think. STEM, as we know, is science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's great. Wow. (laughs) It's good for me. There's been efforts over recent years to increase the participation of girls in STEM at a later part of their schooling. Is that also a part of your drive? Yes, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I take great pride in being a role model for women in STEM, particularly in areas that are still very underrepresented for females, like fishery science. It's definitely a male-dominated industry still, and I think it's really important that young girls out there realise that we're not limited by, I guess, what society's traditional ideas of what we should be are, which I think 
obviously in this today's day and age, it's getting better and better every day. But yeah, I think there's still a little bit of drawback for women getting into STEM. So I'm just trying to keep breaking those walls down. And what do you think is the reason behind that, Amy? You must have thought about that. Yeah, I I don't know. I find it hard to believe. For me personally, I had a role model. My mother is a woman in STEM. She's a female engineer. So I, in my home life and my world, I never had that idea that women couldn't be STEM people. And I think we, as a society, it takes a long time to change. So we're still, we're changing and developing all the time. And it takes those groups to stand up and start to be those role models for other women. Whereas if you're still in an area where there's a lot of men who do a certain role and women who do a certain role, then you're more inclined to go that way with our societal thinking, I guess. But yeah, maybe more girls just want to be nurses. That's totally fine too. Yeah. So let's get back to your project. Effectively, it's resource material, isn't it, on the topic of sharks? Is it pitched at a primary level or secondary level? It's multi-layered. So at the moment, what I'm running is actually a hands-on outreach project. So I have a, a game and an activity that I'm running at the moment that will hopefully turn into more outreach activities. So face-to-face outreach that is supplemented by more learning material for teachers. So instead of it being a one-time show, I guess, you can add that learning material in to solidify the learning of what we did in the activity. So the learning material is still being developed, but the activity is fully developed. And then I also have, and that's aimed at uh, young high school students. So I've been looking at the year seven curriculum. The activity is called Let's Go Fishing. And essentially it's a game where we fish a population of pretend fish and see how we impact that population without regulations. And then we introduce a few fishing regulations to the students and they get to decide which regulations they're going to implement in their game. And then they fish their population again and see if they did a better job at maintaining the ecosystem and population at a stable state. And then I also have a storybook that I wrote in partnership with Inspire NT and Science Week. And that is about a couple of shark species in the Northern Territory, shark and ray species, sorry, in the Northern Territory. And it's a sustainability storybook that can be read and shared in classrooms in the Northern Territory. What a clever idea that game is from a fish or from a shark's point of view. So what sort of outcomes are you getting from the students? Are they saying, yes, there's a need for regulation, but not too much regulation? It's been different with every class and the game is awesome. It was originally designed by a company called Blue Ventures and they do a similar sort of thing teaching communities about how they can design management plans in their own communities for their local community fisheries. With the kids, it gets turned into a bit of a competition. So some kids are switched on and they're like, no, we want to maintain the ecosystem really, really healthily. And some kids get over competitive and they want to maintain the ecosystem at the maximum sustainable yield, as we would call in fishery scientists, where they're getting as much possible fish out of the population and holding it just before it would be overfished or collapsed. So it's been good. Hopefully none of them want to just pillage the ocean though. (laughs) 
yeah, I don't think any of them are serious about that when they say it. I think just getting the kids that aren't regular fishermen, like a lot of the kids in the classes that fish regularly with their families, teach the others about bag limits that way. So say a management regulation like bag limits that you have where you can catch a certain amount of fish each fishing trip. Those kids know that and I say, what is the management regulation we use? And they teach the rest of their class about something like that. Perhaps the kids who don't fish very much at home or haven't been fishing before. So it's a sort of multi-layered learning system, I think. And what are you actually trying to teach? What's the outcome that you're, you're wanting to achieve? For me personally, I like to teach things that I'm researching. So it's very, my project's quite narrow at the moment, but obviously the future plans would be to broaden that out and we teach resource management across all fields to schools. And I think number one teaching point would be sustainability. Unfortunately, in the place that we've gotten on our earth at the moment, we as a generation need to be hyper aware of the impact that we're having on our environment if we're going to be able to sustain our life into the future. So that would be number one. And obviously coming with that is our food resources and our fishing resources. And being able to manage our fisheries effectively takes those management regulations, but it also takes communication, liaison, and working together within our community. So I think starting an open discussion in a class, you all have to agree on your management plan and you get some students who are those commercial fishermen who are trying to get as much as possible and those students who are more environmentally conservative trying to conserve the fish as much as possible and them working together to be able to work out something that works for both of them. is It's a very real-life scenario or can it be applied to a real-life scenario. So, yeah, it's that awareness of what is going around in our ecosystems and our sustainability for the future, but using a fishing model because that's what I'm passionate about. Are you finding that the split, the different ideas, the different values that the students bring to this question, to the game, do they reflect society more generally? Yeah, I think I was really surprised by the depth that I've gotten out of the students and a lot of students saying, oh, you know, Miss Amy, we should try this. And I'm like, yeah, you, you're a couple of steps ahead of me. You know, that's that's the next step in the game. Don't ruin it for everybody else. But a class that has come up with that straight away, and I don't think they're realising they're doing it, but those ideals that are more commercially minded or more minded to use the resources that we possibly can and, and fully maximise that and the more conservative um, side of things that maybe the more sciencey minded people or the ecosystem as a whole minded people that are saying no we've got to be really careful about what we do and we want to try and be more conservative because if we're more conservative then the resource is definitely going to last than if we keep it at that right on that peak stable point and I just don't think that I was ready for the depth that I was going to get out of the students so quickly presenting the game within the presentations that I have done so far of the game in Darwin And I think that's another level for me is I've learned that from those students is that they can be that switched on in year seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever class I'm visiting and 
it becomes a learning experience for me as well. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? The students teaching the teachers. Now, you mentioned that you've rolled it out in Darwin, but I understand you're also trying to go more widespread in the Northern Territory? Yes. So it is aimed for Indigenous communities. I really want that STEM outreach that me as a female STEM role model and science as an opportunity for students in these communities to be a career path that isn't so scary or they think they need to have the highest high school score for. So that's why I really want to get out to those rural and remote communities. I don't think that many places for purely logistically are afforded the same opportunities that students in schools get in the city. So I am going to Nullumboy, which is in Arnhem Land. I will be going to present at the school there. And I'm hoping to get to a few more communities in um, probably focusing on Arnhem Land to begin with before I can get some funds to expand the project. And I am potentially in discussion with the school in a place called Daly River, which is in the Douglas Daly region or Malik Malik country and a few other surrounding Indigenous countries there to present at that school too. So, yes, big plan. Now, there is another issue from what I've read that's sort of underpinning this as well, and that is that there's an increasing number of commercial Indigenous fisheries around. So how does this tie up with that? Yes, there has been some recent decisions made in the Northern Territory that have created a lot of opportunities for the potential for a lot of Indigenous fisheries to hit a commercial market. And I think for them and for the Indigenous people and First Nations people of Australia, they have done a very, very good job of managing their land and resources for the 60-plus thousand years that they lived here before we colonised. So I think for me, I see commercial fisheries, Indigenous commercial fisheries entering the market as an opportunity for knowledge sharing in a similar way that We do fire management in the Northern Territory. That is a knowledge sharing base with Indigenous rangers, scientists, and then also inputs from pastoral landowners as they have a big investment into land and how land is managed up here. I think that we can create hopefully an open conversation about Indigenous knowledge around managing resources like fisheries and also share our knowledge around how we manage our fisheries. And I think that overall, we might be able to lead towards better fisheries management across all sectors, hopefully, as we just get more information and more ideas. It's a wonderful goal, wonderful aim to have, Amy. Let me just finish off by talking about the award again, the Rural Women's Award. You were the Northern Territory winner of that. How did that make you feel? Yeah, I can't say I was expecting it, which sounds terrible. I'm sure I should be very confident in myself. I'm confident in myself now that I've won it. We'll go with that. I was humbled. The two other Northern Territory finalists that were finalists with me were both amazing and had amazing projects. Most of our projects involved STEM and STEM education. So I think it was a bit of picking from a a really good bunch for the panelists and I don't envy them at all. But yeah, I I think it's been probably the highlight of my career so far winning this award. So I was very, very humbled and very happy. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Now, you you received a $10,000 bursary courtesy of Westpac, 
have you spent that money or what are your plans with that money? Yeah. Thank you, Westpac. I've started spending it. So my plans for the $10,000 bursary, that will supplement my travel to Indigenous communities. So that's what I'm using the $10,000 for. That will be car hire and accommodation for me to be able to get to those communities, which in the Northern Territory, $10,000 is amazing. But yeah, even Alice Springs might be a bit far off the mark. Do you think it'll whet your appetite for engaging with high school and primary school students more into the future? Already has, honestly. So I will be close to finishing my PhD hopefully next year. I say close, like I'm not 100% sure, but that would be, that's my goal, finish my PhD next year. And I have to obviously make a decision about what I'm going to do in the future. Am I going to pursue a career in academia and go the postdoctoral route? Am I going to pursue an industry career? And then I'm like, oh, now there's this third option that I pursue STEM outreach or a teaching career. So I'm at a bit of a crossroads and I'm trying to maybe make everything work together and I can still do a lot of STEM outreach, but do a postdoc and continue research. I think I want to do that so much. I really want that STEM outreach to be a continuing part of my career because I think it's really important. I think that Even as researchers, we should be sharing with schools as much as we can in a professional capacity so that kids can see what we're doing. They understand a whole lot more than we give them credit for, I think. And you can explain your research to children in a way that they would be able to understand and they're curious about what's going on in our world and what we need to do in the future. You might inspire a few scientists along the way. But yeah, we have to have that ability to be able to communicate our research at that level. And I think sometimes school kids get a little left behind when it comes to research outreach. So I think I will keep pushing it a long way into the future of my career. Well, Amy, you have been wearing several hats successfully up to now, so I don't see any problem in the future. Thank you so much for your time. You've got a very, very interesting project there and all the best as it winds itself out. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having a chat with me. Amy Kirk successfully combining her passions and shaping a career. You know, after chatting to Amy, I couldn't help thinking that her own career, following her instincts, was the best example of what she wants to instill in young people. If you feel passionate about something and you see a path forward, then see where that path leads you, and that may be in some unexpected directions which is exactly where Amy Kirk is right now. Thanks for listening to AgriFutures On Air. My name is Chris Brown. You've been listening to AgriFutures On Air, a weekly podcast brought to you by AgriFutures Australia. 